Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio on 3RRR. I am Megan McHugh. And I am Rob Jan. We've got to get the role in there. (laughs) So just a quick myth update, as you may have suspected with the extended lockdown in Melbourne, MIF, the Melbourne International Film Festival, has had to rethink the 2021 program yet again. And so the in-cinema component of the festival has been cancelled this year. Very disappointing, and I do feel for all of the organisers of this wonderful festival. If you did have tickets to a cinema session, refunds will be issued if you've already purchased those. And at the moment, regional sessions are still going ahead, but I would urge you, if you're interested in those, to keep an eye on any updates on the MIF website. However, the online streaming component of the MIF Festival is still alive and well, and that is available on the MIF Play platform. There's over 100 titles there available to rent for you to enjoy in your living room, and 30 titles have been added since this announcement. If you were planning to hit a cinema to watch one of the films, or even if you weren't, I would still encourage you to check out the MIF program of what is streaming on the MIF Play platform, and I'm sure you'll find something there to whet any crazy film appetite you might have. Here at Zero G and Triple R in general, we do love MIF and urge you to still consider supporting this festival and the filmmakers by watching from home. And just as a note too, the MIF shorts packages are actually all available for free on there. So you can check those out with no cost to you as well. The MIF program online will be streaming until Sunday, the 22nd of August. And you can find all the details for that at myth.com.au. And on today's show, we've got a bit of a quest in the making, a musical quest and a mythical one. We're going to kick off and talk a little bit about some Apple TV shows, actually. Both of them are Mythic Quest a workplace comedy about a video game studio. And then we're also going to follow that up with Schmigadoon. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd let you take that one, Rob, and have a look at the musical comedy that's also showing on Apple TV. So our title today is Mythic Quest Zero G Expansion. And our podcast title is Schmigapod. I actually feel really stoked to do these shows today because they are genre comedy. I think we could really use a laugh at the moment. (laughs) Agree. We were considering a few other options and they were all a bit more dire than these, let's just say. So I think we've gone with a more upbeat zero G for today's show, which I'm I'm pretty down with because I think some lighter content is just what the doctor ordered. So shall we jump into Mythic Quest? Mythic Quest is showing on Apple TV and it's co-created by Charlie Day, Megan Gantz and Rob McElhoney. And you might recognize those names if you're a fan of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I am, because these guys are also creators of that show and also star. We have what? Megan and Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That should have been our show title. Uh, So this is another workplace comedy. It's not in the realm of 
of a local government, a hospital, a police station, or a live skit show on NBC this time, but it's actually set at a video game studio that makes the popular fictional MMORPG, which is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, (laughs) Mythic Quest. And we begin our show as our team of developers, engineers, creative directors, and producers are about to release an expansion called Raven's Banquet. So that is how we kick off season one, which is comprised of nine episodes. Then we have a sneaky two bonus episodes at the end of season one. And then season two is another nine episodes. So all of these episodes and all of this comedy goodness is up on Apple TV now. So you can binge it all if you so desire. I whipped through all of this in pretty quick order. And Rob, you've made a little bit of a start on it as well. Yes, I'm three episodes into it. Let me just say right up front, this is easily one of those shows that I can just say, yeah, I'm just going to watch this as my sitcom of the yeah. week or whatever because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am enjoying the heck out of it. <laughs> it is very enjoyable. It doesn't shy away from tackling some of the controversial issues that might arise in the game development world. In the news recently, there was a lawsuit, a Blizzard lawsuit, which is the development studio that makes World of Warcraft. It's a lawsuit about some harassment, sexual conduct inside the office, and just really terrible toxic environments. And I think this is something that people aren't even surprised by. It's just become much more in the media now. And this is something that's kind of the game development world is already a bit notorious for. So I did want to call that out. And I do think the show isn't trying to give us a shiny, polished Apple version of this world. It does tackle some of these issues, you know, streamers that stream sort of reviews on different video games, the lack of gender diversity, data breaches and privacy issues, extreme factions that gather within tech environments and social media platforms, monetization and the addictive side of gaming, labor issues for the people who work in these studios. That's actually like quite a large thing as well. And of course, the toxic communities and possible toxic environments that take place, not just inside the workplace of the development, but also the people that use these kinds of games. So I'm not saying it's definitely not all negative, but it's definitely not all positive. So I do just want to call that out because it seems I've been wanting to cover this show for a while. And then the Blizzard lawsuit came out. And I just do think it is good to note that there's obviously a lot of issues in that world that deserve some discussion. Now, moving along, this is pretty much a fairly light show, all of that said. So it deals with all of these things with a light comedic touch. It's a bit of a satire and it does have a bit of fun with things as well. And it delves a little bit into not just game development kinds of worlds, but the sort of tech world as well. Actually, what I found quite interesting was Ubisoft, which is a game development studio. They actually approached the Always Sunny in Philadelphia creators to make this show. They were interested in making a show about the behind the scenes of game development. They didn't want it to be a hard sell on how great the industry is. They just wanted their own kind of workplace comedy. Ubisoft actually provides a lot of the animation that is the mythic quest imagery that appears in the show. So they actually do a lot of that characterization and things and design for the game. Showing remarkably good sportsmanship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting to, yeah, lay everything bare and say, let's, you know, have at it, especially because Always Sunny doesn't pull any punches. They would have known going in that these guys weren't going to, you know, just play nicely. Let's talk a little bit about some of the characters before we dig deeper into more of our thoughts. So 
Rob McElhenney has a pretty large stake in being the creator of this show. He also has a starring role in the show as well as sort of one of our key protagonists, Ian Grimm. Except they pronounce it Iron Grimm. Iron Grimm. Do you know who he reminds me of as a character? Every boss in the IT crowd down that sort of yeah yeah see he he's he's a real character he's narcissistic he's dramatic he wears a lot of silver rings and meditates in the desert he's quite used to getting his own way and we do learn a little bit more about this character as we go so it is quite interesting that a lot of people who produce this show also star another person who does star as well as produce is david hornsby so he stars as david brittlesby who is an executive producer on Mythic Quest and also a producer of the show, (laughs) Mythic Quest. And then adding to the cast as well, we have Poppy Lee. So Poppy is a character. She's Australian, which I enjoy. They let her keep her accent and her nationality. She's the lead engineer of Mythic Quest and she's played by Charlotte Nickdow. And Charlotte Nickdow, actually, I thought you might like this, Rob. She has starred in Thor Ragnarok as the actress who plays Sif in the little play that Loki puts on. Indeed, yes. I found myself identifying with her character a lot. She's a very interesting character, lots of emphatic hand movements. She's a little bit indignant. She's very dedicated and she's often described, you know, as a genius, but that doesn't necessarily mean she has everything stitched up either. She's also got her own struggles, let's say. She's never been to a dinner party in her life in spite of her protestations. (laughs) Until dinner party. (laughs) And there's hand movements that go with that. (laughs) There's an exchange between Poppy where she's listening to Ian Grimm hold forth, Iron Grimm hold forth, and she says, can you hear yourself? (laughs) And Iron says, no, but I wish I could. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, I love Poppy. She's, I think she's probably going to be a divisive character, but that actress brought that character in and they rewrote Poppy. Like they said, nope, we want you to play her and our vision, scrap that. We'll go like what you're bringing. This is what we want. And she had such good chemistry with Rob McElhenney as well. And so I think that it's, it all worked. So yeah. So in addition to Iron and Poppy, who are kind of our two founding characters and their clashes and personality disputes and, you know, visionary fights and all of that is kind of the core of the show, their chemistry is obviously an important element, but we also have a really lovely diverse cast of characters that also support and build out this ensemble. So I thought I'd mention Ashley Birch first. So she plays a character called Rachel, who's a game tester at the Mythic Quest studio. And she has actually done a lot of voice work for video games. So she's done key voices in Horizon Zero Dawn and also Life is Strange, both of games of which I've played and really love. And I was actually quite stoked to hear that she was key voices in that. She won awards for her work in both of those. She's also done voices for on Borderlands, Dota 2, Valorant, The Outer Worlds, Fallout 4, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and The Last of Us Part 2. So she's kind of a bit of a heavyweight in the game voice industry, and she's giving a bit of a go here in a bit of a live-action acting role. She's also done dabbled in a little bit of anime and a little bit of animation as well. 
So rounding out the cast even further, we have an old fave, Danny Pudi. He plays Brad, he's head of monetization, and he's playing a very different character to Arbed in Community, and he's really relishing it, I think. He's sort of very money-focused, a little bit soulless, a little bit heartless, quite ruthless as well, and he's obviously having a lot of fun in that role. And I think really the light and dark contrast of that is, is pretty great to see him doing something like that. Can I do the next one? That's F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> he's playing the writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and his main claim to fame as a writer in this series is that he won a Nebula Award, Science Fiction Writers of America mm-hmm. Award, back in the 1970s for some horrible novel or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> I first remember him playing Salieri in Amadeus back in mm-hmm. 1984. Won an and Oscar for that one. I think a Golden Globe and a BAFTA nomination too. But I also know him from Star Trek Insurrection mm-hmm. and Scarface. But Name of the Rose back in 86 as well. That was an important one mm-hmm. that I recall mm-hmm. him from. And do you remember his voice from Isle of Dogs? Yes, yes. And he was also in How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World as well. And he's popped up in Muppets from Space and even an episode of The Orville. So plenty of callbacks there for Mr. Amadeus Salieri, too many notes. So, yes, we've got our writer, we've got our head engineer and our creative director, another game tester played by Amani Hakim. She plays Dana, another tester who works along with Rachel. And then we also have as I mentioned, David Hornsby, who plays David Brittlesby, who's a bit of a kind of a foil. He's a little bit bumbling. He's very sensitive. He's kind of the nice guy and nice guys always finish last, unfortunately, at MQ. And he has an assistant called Joe. Now, Joe is quite the character. She's played by Jesse Ennis and we've seen her before in Better Call Saul and Veep. And Joe is, she's really just trying to make her way in the world and she's She's got a real unique way of looking at things. Let's just say that. So there's a lot of comedy moments there between the two of them. I thought that the characters all represented archetypes from a game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could assemble a dungeon crew from – it would all work. Apart from the fact that they all keep battle axes and and swords and and shields and stuff kicking around in the office for – inspiration and shovels too. Yeah, the shovel. Can't forget the shovel. So I will say I do agree, but I think one of the strengths of the show is that you get a little bit more about each of these archetypes as we delve a bit deeper into the show. Before we get too into that, I did want to shout out, I read a couple of interviews with Rob McElhenney, who I said takes a big role in the creation and kind of creative direction of the show. And he was talking a little bit about how it is a very diverse cast, which is awesome, but he didn't want it to seem fake because he thought people would, you know, call BS on it if, say, the show was 50-50 women in these roles at this type of studio because that's just not the reality and that would feel quite inauthentic. So on purpose, it kind of deals with the gender imbalance there and he sort of called out and said that you'll notice a lot of the males that work in this fictional studio are older and the women are younger and that just is a reality because gaming companies and a lot of tech corporations and I can definitely say that from experience as well that women are being brought in but there aren't a lot of older women in the industry because they just didn't start out when they were young like a lot Mm. of the males there's more and more women but they tend to be younger or newer to the industry So as one of those, (laughs) I definitely thought that rang true and I thought that was very interesting that he paid the attention to that and tried to make it 
a bit of a, a point as well as not pressing the point too much. So maybe before we delve a little bit more into our thoughts, let's hear a track. So there's some really great uh, rousing in-game music, but I thought we'd actually play a little bit of a track that's used as more of a episode song. So this plays in the credits of a standalone episode in season one. Now this is Un Annie Sans Lumiere, and it is by Arcade Fire, which is partly why I picked it because a bit of a throwback to Arcade Fire from their album Funeral. And this one plays in episode five of season one, the episode called A Dark Quiet Death. Hi there, I'm Jen Saska. And I'm Sylvia Saska. And, and we're the Twisted Twins. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Did you love it? That's a good for you too. Heck yeah. Yes, Arcade Fire with Un Annie Sans Lumiere. That's my gentle attempt at saying that somewhat correctly. That song played in the episode A Dark Quiet Death, which appeared in season one of the TV show. TV show? Probably couldn't even call it that anymore. The show... Mythic Quest, now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. So we had a little chat about the characters and the general premise. This, for me, is kind of the center of my Venn diagram. I love video games, I work in tech, and I love Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So smack dab in the middle sits Mythic Quest or MQ for me. So I, right off the bat, was ready to give this show time and ready to like it, basically. It already had me gunning for it. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts were, Rob, as someone who's sort of just, you know, a couple of episodes in. So I kind of came into it reasonably sort of unprepared. Mm -hmm. I knew it was about gaming. So it does overlap with some of my interests, online gaming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In that respect, it confirms everything I've ever thought about developers. (laughs) (laughs) I I watched it with my partner, Gail, and we were both sitting there going, aha, Art and commerce, yes, this is how it all mixes together, you know, Mm -hmm, loot mm -hmm. crates and it felt very, very real. Yeah. I also like my comedy smart with dialogue that I want to go back and listen to again. Yeah. And this show has that in spades or shovels, as the case (laughs) may be. Mm -hmm. It had wonderful gags that gave me the whole in-universe sort of feeling like segues would be done through game play. Yes. Yes. And they would use epic music from the game to shift scenes and stuff like that was just gold. I also felt it had very much of a feeling of the IT crowd to it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. complete with a dungeon where they kept their community liaison person. Poor old Sue. (laughs) And she's obviously gone just a little bit loopy from being stuck away listening to the toxic online commentary from Mm -hmm. the fans and the players. I love the fact that they did have an online reviewer who's like a kid. Yes. They all all live and die upon pooty underscore shoes. Reviews of their expansion modules and anything mm-hmm. that happens in the game is basically so toxic. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think it's calling out a lot of things and having a lot. I mean, Pootie Shoe, that's got to be a reference to PewDiePie, which is a huge, he's a huge gaming YouTuber. He's not a child, but um, I feel like there's a bit of a combo going on there. <laughs> And some of the dialogue, I mean, first off, Iron Grimm, the, the creator of Mythic Quest, I love the fact that he's he's got a big mural on his office wall that's one of the warriors mm-hmm. from the game, 
and his office window opens out from the groin of this warrior. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of stuff in the background of this that just cracked me up all the time from the fact that F. Murray Abrams' writing character has this little leather-bound journal that he Mm -hmm. writes down his ideas in with a a twee little holder on it to put his pen in at all times. And he's also got a, a matching hip flask. He's a bit of a souse. <laughs> he is. I honestly, I will say, Rob, hearing you say that, I I want us to reconvene once you've watched all the episodes because I think there's a lot in store for you. I mean, it's really fun, and you're only a couple of episodes in and liking it. I will say, which is a great sign. I will say, for me, it took a couple to get really going. I do feel the show finds its stride after the season one standalone episode, which I mentioned earlier, episode five, A Dark Quiet Death, I think after that point it actually finds its groove and really, you know, sets off and starts to dig a bit deeper into some of the themes and move away from being sort of a shallow exploration and bringing up some interesting thoughts and ideas. So I think the more time you give it, the more you'll like it. Also, Mm. There are standalone episodes and they really shine. There's also two the two bonus episodes I mentioned. Now, one of them was filmed during the pandemic and deals with the pandemic. That one's called Quarantine. There's another special episode called Everlight. Both of those are amazing. The Quarantine one is very, very relevant to the real-life experience of the show when it was filming mm. because they had a, a big outbreak amongst the cast and it was quite well reported at the time. Yeah, and Quarantine was actually filmed in the actors' homes. So I won't spoil too much about it, but you can kind of imagine it was a very creative way to keep content going and to keep filming the show and in really strange circumstances. And I actually think it's a really nice piece of quarantine art, so to speak, a nice piece of writing and something that's come out of the pandemic that I think is quite unique and very actually quite moving. So the standalone Dark Quiet Death, I think, is often held up as one of the really great episodes. It's written by Rob's sister, Katie, Katie McElhenney, and it guest stars Jake Johnson, who we know from New Girl, and he was also in a movie called Drinking Buddies and a whole bunch of other stuff, and Kristen Milioti, who we know from Palm Springs, and they star as Doc and Bean in that episode, and they are so wonderful together, so charismatic and watchable and that episode for me was kind of one of my favorites i don't want to dig too much into the standalones because i really want you to explore those for yourself especially you rob let's reconvene once you've watched it all it surprises you i do think on one level it is just a, a simple workplace comedy it's not really tackling anything with particular new fresh wit like it's doing a witty job but it's not particularly fresh except for a couple of places where you're like oh it actually is being clever, it has something to say, and it builds on the kind of foundations that it makes earlier on. Overall, it's a yes from me. A yes from you? Well, in the (laughs) poopy underscore shoe, the reviewer, poopy shoe, (laughs) he has this quite absurd rating system, the, the butthole review system of how many buttholes does this part of the game get. We, of course, are in zero G. We would never do anything as silly as that. (laughs) In my yeah, nah, maybe (laughs) review scale, (laughs) definitely give this a yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yeah. It's smart. I particularly love the episode where they find out that there's an unsavory subculture 
Mm. patronising their game yes. and the way they deal with it. It's actually mm-hmm. fairly well worked out. Yeah. And there's even a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> Yeah, yeah. in this story that I just thought, a visual gag that I thought was great. I think this is just a star standout sitcom. Yeah. And it goes into my must-watch list, so I'm going to persevere through the entire series. Oh. I'm pleased, so, yeah. So thank you for finding yet another treasure. I'm really glad and I'm keen to discuss once you're finished. And if you're a big fan, there's also a recap podcast called Questy Besties where some of the actors recap their experience, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, there's heaps of content out there if, you, if you're looking for it. So that's Mythic Quest. It is on Apple TV+. Plus. Both seasons and the two special episodes are available on there now. Mm. And that is Mythic Quest. And I'm surprised that there actually doesn't seem to be a game with that name already. No, I know. <laughs> Raven's Banquet. Uh, yeah. They do what such the a hell? good job of sending it sending it up. I, I bet you there will appear one at some point. Yeah. Moving on to another television show on the same mm. platform. Look at uh, us go. Apple, Apple TV Plus. Yep. It's <laughs> Schmigadoon. Yeah. <laughs> Without casting any shade on a beloved art form, I'm not really a big fan of general musicals, mm-hmm. but Parade One passed with a hint of genre discordance, and I'm there. Before you can <laughs> sing Carrie Homer. Yeah, Camelot, the Adams Family musical, mm-hmm. a funny thing mm-hmm. happened on the way to the forum, Brigadoon. Oh, yeah. Yep. Cats, Phantom of the Opera, Man of La Mancha, West Side Story, Sweeney Todd. Anything Sondheim, really, and yep. and pretty much all of those uproarious Gilbert and Sullivan comic operas. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds and Sing Ho for the musical episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, of course. Supernatural and Xena Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. And I hear they even did a musical adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie for the Riverdale series. Yes, yes. <laughs> we all know that an MCU musical movie is inevitable hmm. and they've been slipping song and dance numbers into everything from agent carter and through captain america first avenger iron mm. man 2 and even loki had an asgardian warble in his show mm-hmm. anywho there've been entire music-based genre television series including the monkeys going way back there josie and the pussycats in outer <laughs> space yep <laughs> well We don't need to go any further than the two seasons of the recent US American musical fantasy series, Gallivant, which really danced backwards into the concept. We didn't have to until now. (laughs) Inexplicably, and I've tried and failed to explain it, the Rocky Horror Picture Show has never particularly done anything for me. Really? Yeah. As many times as we've played tracks on Zero G over the years, I'm not a toast thrower. And yet, Schmigadoon, starts in a not entirely dissimilar way to the old Rocky H. Mm-hmm. There's a troubled couple, in this case two doctors, mm-hmm. Melissa Gimble and Josh Skinner, and there's a couple of musical names if ever they were. <laughs> and they're trying to rev up their romance of a country backpacking hike, as you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And before you can spell Brigadoon, they wind up befogged in the mist. Ooh. And find themselves in the Technicolor, every small rural town of the title, Schmigadoon. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's kind of like Pleasantville and a little bit uh, WandaVision. Okay, and, all right. But all set to music. I'll just let you know that Keegan Michael Key plays Dr. Josh Skinner. Mm-hmm. 
And he was the co-creator and co-star alongside Jordan Peele mm-hmm. in Key and Peele. He's appeared in the, one of the Fargo series, mm-hmm. Parks and Recreation, Mad mm-hmm. TV, Tomorrowland, and a voice actor in Hotel Transylvania, the Lego movie, Ha. Oh. And Toy Story 4. And we heard him as the ritual master in Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Mm -hmm. But his greatest credit is that he played a veteran Marine in Shane Black's The Predator. Oh. Or is that his greatest credit? He did a cameo in in a weird Al Yankovic video. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Say no more about Keegan-Michael Key. Cecily Strong plays Dr. Melissa Mm Gimble. And we've seen her before as a cast member of Saturday Night Live. And she was also Mayor Bradley's assistant in the Ghostbusters movie with Jennifer Lynch. That's the 2016 reboot. Mm -hmm. They are both spot on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well cast. And, of course, they also have careers in the sort of musical areas too because, of course, that's a basic of this. Of course they're going to be pulled into the musical madness themselves, but I've yet to find the intruding doctor's bafflement at being constantly song and danced at has gotten old. At the same time, they will also be the catalyst that changes the town in many ways. For example, there's a deep take on the gay subtext of many Golden Age musicals that's quite moving when Melissa inspires it to be brought into the foreground. Schmiggy is a serenading stitch-up of couples sitcoms and all. They're not afraid to tickle the trope of one of the pair teasing the other because they've misconstrued a commonly understood phrase or saying. In the IT crowd, it was Jen asking not to be put up on a pedal stool or maintaining that something had been a bit of a damp squid. Here it's an adorably skewed take on Dog Eat Dog. Now, Schmigadoon, it's an American series. It's created by Cinco Paul mm-hmm. and Ken Dario, who are a writing duo. Mm-hmm. The songs are all written by Paul, and he is the showrunner too. Now, they've worked before on Dr. Seuss's Horton Here's a Who. Okay. Despicable Me mm. and Dr. Seuss's The Lorax and The Secret Life of Pets. Right. So mm. these two guys are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they are Mormons. Mm-hmm. And that's where they met when the Paul was doing a musical about that. Right. No, not not that not musical. That musical. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and and I thought this is not a good start for Zero G with our well-known atheistic slant on life. But this show is anything but po-faced or fundamentalist or anything at all like that. It's quite irreverent, and it's directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. We know him as the cinematographer for the Coen Brothers, uh-huh. Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, and. Penny Marshall's Big, which we mentioned recently in Ah, context of the myth. And he began directing films like The Addams Family in 1991. That one's such a good one. (laughs) Yeah, and its sequel, uh, Family Values. Mm. He did the Men in Black trilogy, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. less perhaps popular, The Wild Wild West, Get Shorty, Uh and The Tick pilot on TV as well as a heap of episodes of a series Mm. of unfortunate events. Right. So, okay, a good director there, great creators. Mm. The choreographer, and this is really important for this show because it's a song and dance musical, Mm. Christopher Gatelli, who worked on as a performer, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and had the role of Pouncival in Cats. But we've seen his choreography in the Coen Brothers feature, Hail Caesar. Ah, nice. Ah, yeah. 
So he already knows how to do that retro musical thing because mm. Schmigadoon is actually both a satire and an homage mm. to golden age musicals. Yeah. So, you know, um, Lerner and Lowe, Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah. In fact, there's a store with um, the Hammerstein name on it in the in the background. Also, we have Tish Monaghan doing costumes. She worked on the Twilight Saga Eclipse. The Predator, which we've already just mentioned, and Insomnia. And she does a great job with the costumes, That'd making them look like they've come out of that era. Yeah. And also, of course, because they're dance costumes too, they have to be mm. comfortable to dance Functional in. and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, we also have in there – all right, okay. Now, I'm going to play you a track from Schmigadoon, kind of the – big ticket song when they arrive in Schmigadoon okay. and it sets the scene for everything. Okay. So imagine our two doctors have just stumbled out of the mist into this technicolour landscape with indeed backdrops that are painted. Nice, nice. <laughs> and they get the story. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut and you're listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. <laughs> in case you didn't get the title of that, it's Schmigadoon, which is indeed the eponymous show on Apple TV Plus. Six episodes in so far in the first <laughs> season, and it is a wonderful homage satire to Golden Age musicals. Mm. Now, I can't really give you the full flavour of that musical introduction because they're also dancing there at the mm. same time, yeah. and throwing in random cartwheels. <laughs> I can almost, like golden age musicals, I can picture the kinds of visuals that would go with that song, and it really did evoke that energy really well. Is it delighting in it or is it kind of satirically doing it at the same time? Is it more earnest? As Star-Lord would say, bit of both. Ah, uh, gotcha. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did mention the the director and the creators of the show and the costumer mm-hmm. and the choreographer and actually quite literally behind the scenery is Bo Welsh, who is the production designer. And he's crafted this wonderful village that's a little bit the good place. Mm. And, in fact, that is a show that this reminds me of the most as they're exploring themes using the songs and dance Mm. to push the plot along and to give us a deeper understanding of all of the characters, Mm. especially of the two doctors who have kind of fallen out of love, and that's Mm -hmm. an important plot point in their attempts to escape from Schmigadoon. Mm. You can only cross the bridge out of the town if you cross it with your true love. Ah, gotcha. Ah. Okay, this is a nice setup for... Exploring yeah. their relationship through song, etc. <laughs> and Bo Welsh, the production designer, was known for Men in Black, so he's worked with the director before, and mm-hmm. Thor, as well as Batman Returns, so great sort of legacy there. So what I'm getting at here is all the creators behind this, they really know their stuff. Yeah. And so that has allowed them to create this almost perfect simulation Mm. of a musical from, you know, the the 40s, the 50s and into yeah. the 60s too. Don't look mm. for too much modern musicality in this. So, you know, you probably won't find Hamilton sort of references yeah. and so on. No Although, hip-hop, no rap. <laughs> well, there are some actors in this who've been in Hamilton. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, 
You actually would not be particularly hard-pressed to find that because a lot of them Mm. have been on Broadway and they've done various shows because you need to have that. Yeah, yeah. This is not a show where you've just got some actors and then taught them how to sing and dance. (laughs) No, no. I can see too that some of the characters are based on character archetypes from really popular musicals. I think that's pretty fun. And I guess if you're someone who really knows their golden age musicals, that'd be a fun Easter egg. I enjoy a musical. I'm more of a modern musical gal, but you know, I do know the sound of music and music man and all that jazz. So. Oh, well, (laughs) we have some songs for you. I'm just going to go through quickly some of the other actors Mm. in here. Fred Armisen. And he has been in so many things like Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we also saw him in uh, Moonbase 8. More recently, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but I've seen him in so many things like 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Nine nine, <laughs> Unbreakable <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt and The Last Man on Earth. So he's in the mix there playing the Reverend Howard Layton. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he is the very, very, very sadly beset husband of Mildred, essentially the town Harridan. Right. If there's anything new or futuristic or different or change-threatening that comes to town, she is the one who will stand up and say no. Yeah, she'll squash it like a bug. <laughs> We've got Dove Cameron, what a great mm. name, playing Betsy. She's a waitress. She's one of Farmer McDonoghue's seven daughters. But we know her as the voice of Gwen Stacy from the Marvel Rising animation series. So, And she was also in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's going to be Bubbles in a... Powerpuff Girls. Oh, a live action Powerpuff Girls. Something I never thought would happen and didn't think I needed, but possibly will love. I was a very big Powerpuff Girls gal. Oh, really? One of your first superhero teams. It was. I think, and I was probably a bit old for it, to be honest, but um, Powerpuff Girls are, you know, kind of transcend age group. (laughs) Kristen. Yes, she's. She's a musical heavy hitter. I like. I'm not that surprised to see her here, but she is well known for her chops. Uh, it's singing, performance, musicals, amazing. Does she have a pretty big role in this? She is playing Mildred. Oh, <laughs> bug squasher. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yep. 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 <laughs> and she actually had the costumer make the costume that she wears, the tightly buttoned up corseted mm-hmm. and bodice costume, deliberately uncomfortable. Buttoned-up clothes yeah. for a buttoned-up lady. Yeah. We know her as Glinda in Wicked and also I know her from as Annabeth Schott in The West Wing. That's where I first saw her mm-hmm. in a non-musical role. Also, she played Maleficent in the Disney Channel movie Descendants. Oh. Such and she's a, really mean in that. <laughs> she's got such a distinct voice and presence. I just think she's so much fun. <laughs> Alan Cumming. Oh, say no more. We mentioned yes. Josie and the Pussycats earlier. He was in the live action for that. He was. Well done. Mm. I've almost mm. forgotten that. I first saw him in 1995 in Goldeneye playing one of the villains. Saturnus in the Titus movie. He was King James in the Doctor Who episode, The Witchfinders. And X-Men fan, know him as Kurt. Wagner Nightcrawler from yeah. X-Men X2 in uh, 2003. Great opening scene. He nailed that. Mm. We also have Ariana DeBose playing the school mom. <gasps> I love a good school mom. 
But she's sort of channeling the Marion Paru from the Music Man mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. And we've seen her in the role of the Bullet in the Broadway cast of Hamilton. Nice. And then here's the one that I, I would just go anywhere to I'm, watch. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Krakowski. Yeah. She's a fave and we know she can sing. She loves to sing in her shows. As she should. She's got a great voice. She plays Countess Gabrielle von Blurkom. Oh, I love it already. <laughs> yeah, so they're riffing off the Baroness from The Sound of Music in that one. Yeah. And in her case, <laughs> she gets some of the great lines. She's a countess and she also invented stainless steel. <laughs> <laughs> That's random. Just a a detail that they throw in and constantly riff off. People are always complimenting her, saying, oh, well, I use stainless steel pots and pans. Thank you. What a detail. (laughs) At one stage, the Countess demures about having invented stainless steel. Oh, please. I dabble in aluminothermic reduction processes and I got lucky. Okay, this show, like we were saying before about Mythic mm. Quest, one where you got to go, did I hear that? Mm. Did they just say that? They did. And you just go, oh, this is so damn cool. So, yeah, smart, funny, mm. great choreography for the dancers, a lot of call-outs to little details of mm. other musicals, a lot of direct riffs off of musicals. You'll know some of the lyrics and some of the compositions that are Mm -hmm. just off like that. Schmigadoon is obviously Oklahoma reworked at the start there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You will know Music Man songs Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. some of them you might actually have to hunt for because they're being a little bit cagey there. Everything Mm. has a technicolour non-reality that makes this an alternate reality that plays so well to the themes and tropes that they're working on. I just am enjoying the hell out of this. Uh, Six episodes at the moment. Let's have another quick song here. Mm. This is just a short one. (laughs) I thought not particularly long about playing this one. It's all anatomically correct. There are no swear words in it, just correct anatomical terms. (laughs) You might want to lock up your children and not let them hear that. And imagine this. This is played with the female doctor. Mm-hmm. She's getting involved in a, an unwed pregnancy and explaining the facts of life to the young couple who have not been able to get a look in with the town's real doctor mm-hmm. and especially are nervous about the town Harridan finding out about their dangerous gotcha. liaison. Oh, interest. Oh, we're going there. All right. I'm intrigued. We are going to go there. You will know what musical they've riffed off on this. So imagine this young star-crossed couple sitting in front of their rude mountain cabin (laughs) (laughs) with a rude mountain song being sung and the painted mountain backdrop behind Uh, them. So you know which movie they are. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it contains anatomically accurate Latin Hi, I'm Andrea Thompson, and I play Talia Winters, resident commercial telepath on Babylon 5. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R, and I know what you're thinking. <laughs> the... I mean, it was all, as you said, correct factual information, so we can't be held accountable. <laughs> no, no more than the creator of the human centipede could be with its 100% anatomically correct medical procedure. <laughs> 
they're actually doing this in front of a majestic painted mountain. Backdrop. I can I can imagine. I feel like the it's very clear. I wonder what the kind of legal implications are around this kind of I guess it's a parody song. I don't know if you're allowed you're allowed to do that like parodies are okay for familiar tunes because if we're really lending this heavily from the the golden age hits I wonder if there's a legal gray area there I don't know not to put on my downer hat and get all legal about things but I'm curious in this case as Mildred Layton the, the town busybody says her ancestors founded Schmigadoon and their first words when they came into the valley were no one will find us here so perhaps that's the principle that they're running (laughs) do you think you could enjoy this show even if you're not very familiar with musicals or you're not that much of a fan of of the golden age musicals well chances are if you're not that much of a fan of them then you'll at least recognize the tropes i would say because a lot of these are carried through into modern musicals absolutely yeah I mean, I'm not saying that you have to have lived in the 1940s or 50s or 60s. Mm. You know, people of Captain America's era, (laughs) Steve Rogers (laughs) would probably enjoy it. No. So this is Schmigadoon. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it on Zero G because it's a fantasy genre musical television show on Apple TV+. Mm. And it is a perfect lockdown show. Yeah. Mm. Although, technically speaking, they are locked dune, as you would say in Brigadoon, because the two characters who are trapped in this musical can't escape. Yeah. Well, there you go. Parallels. Mm. But you know what? The pandemic would be a hell of a lot more fun if it had songs and dance. Mm. And I don't mean St. Vitus's dance. So it's not quite the same as that. All right, now that's about it for Zero G for today. I commend that show to you as I do Mythic Quest. Yeah, get on them. Like I said, Mythic Quest, even if you're not grabbed by it straight away, give it a chance. Just let it simmer. And we will get some simmering here with an outtrack called Tribulation. And this is actually Mildred Layton. She's actually the mover and shaker of this. She's trying to raise perhaps not a lynch mob, Perhaps not a bunch of peasants waving pitchforks and flaming torches. I almost said human torch there. And that's influenced because one of the doctors is actually a Marvel Comics fan. Oh, wow. They are riffing off Trouble in River City from the music man in Mm -hmm. this one from Schmigadoon. All right, that's about it for Zero G today. And I'm just feeling so happy I will not burst into song alongside these people. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine Christine Chenoweth doing this song with her face basically pruned up with a vinegarish expression that is just so sharp that it could <laughs> carve the moral justification of this town into marble. <laughs> Thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Thank you to Joe Brunatic coming mm-hmm. up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. <laughs>